Glory to Jesus Christ. In this time of year, after Mother's Day, late May, early June, it makes me think of graduation season. High schools, colleges, universities, they should all be having their commencement ceremonies at this time of year. And there can be so many of them. But I have a question for you. How many of you who graduated remember your commencement speeches? Show of hands, anyone? A couple? That's good. That's probably more than we'll remember this homily in a couple weeks. But I am in the same boat with most of you. I couldn't even tell you who gave the speech at my commencement ceremony. I can't remember a single thing that they would have said. I have the pictures, of course, to prove that I was there. But all I can really remember from that day was standing in line, getting ready to walk with all those from my major. And so I received that diploma, or at least the cover that, can, that would someday contain the diploma. The actual diploma came later. And I was there getting ready, getting ready to be launched out into the world. And I remember that period of my life having a great deal of uncertainty to it, because I didn't really know where or to what I was being launched out into. And at that time, there were a lot of worries and fears, and there were also some bad habits that I would have to overcome that I picked up in college. But in today's readings, in our gospel and in our epistle, we are essentially hearing commencement prayers and addresses from Jesus and from St. Paul. The prayer of Jesus comes from the Gospel of John. And here he is telling us his prayer for us, right before his betrayal and arrest. It is the last time that he will address his disciples and apostles before his crucifixion and death. And that entire chapter from the Gospel of John is a prayer. Now, we only hear the first two parts read aloud today for us in the church. But it is a prayer that builds and expands as he progresses. It begins by being a prayer for himself and God. But it then expands to include his disciples and apostles. And then it expands again to include the whole church. And it ends by being a prayer for the world. And as he ends his prayer, Judas approaches and begins his betrayal. For the address from Paul, he is speaking to his community in Ephesus. And we have read aloud to us in the church an edited version of that. There are a few verses that are cut out because that first part of his address is skipped over. He's speaking about the things that he has done with the community in Ephesus. And he's, he's talking about the work that he's put in, the effort that he's put in. And so we skip over that first part because we're intended to focus 
today on the fierce wolves. Because today is the Sunday of the fathers of the first ecumenical council. But in that first part of the address that skipped over, there's a very interesting verse. Verse 26. And it tells us, and Paul says, that he is innocent of the blood of all men. That's an interesting way to put it. And at first I wasn't quite sure what to make of that blood of all men. Was he speaking about martyrdoms to come? Would there be great bloodshed in the church? That's not quite what his point was. That wasn't the language he was speaking. Instead, he was speaking in the language of the prophets. He's speaking like Ezekiel spoke, like Isaiah spoke. In Ezekiel 3.19, it says, But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity. So Paul, like Ezekiel, is saying that he has warned the wicked man. Paul has faithfully preserved the faith and passed it down to the Ephesian community. Paul has preached the kingdom of God to them. But for those who hear his words and refuse to repent, those who would keep on sinning, they will die in their sins. And that is the bloodshed of which he speaks. Paul has brought the community in Ephesus to new life through baptism. And now the responsibility passes to them to stay strong in the faith and to preserve it faithfully as it was handed down. In the early church, the period following Pascha was a time of intense instruction for the newly baptized. It's also a time of instruction for us, a re-education, if you will. But the neophytes, the newly baptized, well, they had been taught the fundamentals of faith leading up to baptism in their preparation for baptism. It was only after they received the mysteries of initiation that they were taught about those mysteries in a more intense way. And they were given mystagogical catechesis at that time. And this would allow them to come to a fuller understanding of those mysteries that they had received. And all this occurred up until the Feast of Pentecost, which is the feast of sending out into the world. So after having been steeped in the faith and receiving the mystagogy, it is time for the church after Pentecost to make that faith our own, to take on the responsibility about which Paul speaks, and to take that faith out into the world and to preach it in the city square. St. Cyril of Jerusalem, in his catechetical addresses, speaks to this idea, just like Paul did, of preserving the faith and keeping it pure. 
In his lecture on the mystery of chrism in Christian initiation, he said, Having been anointed, therefore, with this holy ointment, keep it unspotted and unblemished in you, pressing forward by good works and being made well-pleasing to the captain of our salvation, Jesus Christ. We receive such amazing and wondrous gifts from the church, such amazing and wondrous gifts from Christ. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in our chrismation. We see the gift of Christ's body in the Eucharist. We receive the gift of our faith tradition handed down to us generation after generation and the successors to the apostles, our bishops. But any time that we launch out in this commencement time of our calendar year in our faith, it can bring change. For those who are new to the faith, it can bring change. It can also bring new worries and new fears. What if we cannot keep ourselves unspotted and unblemished like St. Cyril speaks of? What if we have been warned like Ezekiel, warned like the wicked man, and we do not turn away from our wickedness? Let us cast out those fears. Let us draw away from those worries. Because in our baptism, we renounce the devil. Everyone who is baptized has renounced the devil. And we have received this holy thing, this holy chrism that has been given to us, and it is for us a safeguard. St. Cyril says that this chrism is a spiritual safeguard of the body and the salvation of the soul. And let us also turn to that commencement prayer of Jesus in the garden, that prayer we heard in the gospel reading today. He prays for us, and he beseeches the Father that he keep through your name those whom you have given me, that we may be one, that they may be one as we are. Another safeguard for then, another safeguard for us then is the Eucharist, because we have become one in the body of Christ. Our community becomes one as the body of this church. Do you recall from the divine liturgy before the creed? The deacon or the celebrant calls us all to be of one mind. The prayer says, let us love one another that with one mind we may profess. So our community is our safeguard. The anointing with chrism is our safeguard. And the reception of the Eucharist is our safeguard. With all these in place, we need not be worried about our futures. We need not be concerned or fearful. We can share completely in the joy of Jesus because we become one with him. Like the apostles, we cannot remain in the upper room forever. We must go forth for the glory of God. And like the prophet Isaiah wrote, preach glad tidings to the poor. Glory to Jesus Christ.